the place of mystery in a world of magic one family's extraordinary power to change their appearance will be left in the hands of one man Oh, yes, I give it cheese. Nice, you like? Oh, yes, you like it, cheese. Papa. Now, to solve a mystery... It is time for you to find your mother and your father. This simple waiter must become much more. Now I can teach you to become a master of disguise. Really? I'm going to be a master of disguise. I'm going to be a master of disguise. I'm going to Enough. be a... This summer... Your training begins now. Prepare to make the change. You are a fatty. <laughs> what is happening? Ah! Save me! Save me! Ah! Sorry, Grandpa! He will need a partner. Assistants commonly fall in love with their disguisey masters. Can you resist, Pistachio? Can you resist me? I'll give it a shot. He will need practice. Who's your daddy? Who's your daddy? Now you try. Oh, who is your daddy? And a whole lot of patience. You got a little uh, tomato soup with a crouton? No. You got some Neapolitan ice cream, you know, you got the vanilla chocolate strawberry. One of the greatest things ever invented. And you don't got it! Dina Carvey. I am Prince Lalejama. Swove, Terry Swove. <laughs> You a member of the Turtle Club? Am I not turtly enough for the Turtle Club? Take me into my show. No, no, no. Where'd he go? <laughs> the master of disguise. I think it's time for you to go. This is what you're doing. This is what I want you to do. Did you just tell me to shut up? Yes. Mm -hmm. Welcome to They Called Us a Movie, testing the strength of friendships one terrible movie at a time. Subscribe to the podcast on iTunes and other podcast services by searching They Called Us a Movie and find us on Twitter and Instagram at TickTamPod. That's T-C-D-A-M-Pod. We are also now a proud member of Geek Vibes Nation, and you could find them at GVNation.com. Welcome back to They Called Us a Movie. This is Anthony Del Vecchio, and with me as always is Dan Aquino and Mark Myers. Say hello, gentlemen. Hello, friends. Hello. My plan, I was thinking the whole time of having a bit where I tried to do an impression of something and say I was like getting the, what is it, Enrico or whatever? I'm not helping, I'm not bailing you out of this bit. No, I, <laughs> if, here's the thing. If you want to see me attempt to do voices, there's 127 episodes of Stranger Damies on your <laughs> podcast feed for me to do that. Yes. But I, I could not think of anything else to do because... There's not much to even do an opening bit from this garbage movie, but we'll try and do a podcast. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's a rough week. But before we get into that, we have a couple things on the docket. First, we have, we're doing our April movie of the month a week early. So if you're listening to this on the Thursday that it airs, we currently have a poll is alive on Twitter and on Instagram. 
we are putting together our Nicolas Cage month, basically. The unbearable weight of massive talent drops next week. So we decided we are going to go full bore into the world of Nicolas Cage. And we've got three excellent movies lined up that you could vote on. If you're listening to this before, I think, middle of day Friday when this airs that week. We have possibly his three best movies, at least in terms of Nicolas Cage awesomeness. We have Face Off, we've got The Rock, and we've got Con Air. I'm probably rooting for Con Air, but I yeah. honestly could not care less which one wins because they're all fantastic movies. Yeah. Currently, The Rock is running away with it, which I was surprised. I thought it was going to be a dead heat for most of it, but The Rock is, as, as of right now, the odd, odds-on favorite. So if you want to see us do Con Air or Face Off, go on Twitter, because I think the Instagram poll will be down by the time this airs. Go on Twitter and vote for it. Go on the pinned tweet. Vote for your favorites. Yes, but, uh, and re- remember, that is Face Slash Off. Face slash off, yes. The official title. <laughs> I'm excited. Yeah. Which one are you, you guys pulling for? Dan, I feel like you're pulling for The Rock, right? Yeah, I'm I'm going for The Rock. Mark, what about yeah. you? you yeah, I'm, I'm leaning I'm leaning Con Air, but I've heard people talk about Face Off in rewatches, and I haven't seen that. That's the one I haven't seen in the longest. So, yeah. you know, so if that one wins... I will be happy, but Con Air's got so many great moments for us to talk about. Yeah. There's no lose in this one. There is no lose. Someone mentioned on Twitter that we should do all three at one point, and I don't see why we shouldn't. I agree. <laughs> that's true. Yeah, we could just do an episode that's just all three. Yeah, I, I would love to cover all of these, because I've never seen Face Off. Oh, really? What? Yeah, I've never seen Face Off. Off the podcast now. <laughs> Conair is one of my favorite action movies, and I, I had just watched The Rock when you proposed this this Twitter poll, Ant. So that's that was the first thing that burned in my mind, and I mean that cast is great. So I, that's why I was pulling for The Rock. Gotcha. Yeah, I'm excited for this one. This is gonna be a lot of fun. Yeah. But before we get into that which is next week's episode. And before we get into this week's movie, what did you guys watch this week? Dan, let's start with you. Anything? Yeah, I watched three movies that I thought were really good. I'll, I'll start. I, I guess I'll go from least favorite to favorite. I watched there was a show on net or a movie on Netflix called Metal Lords. And it's about two teenage kids who are into, like into metal music in high school. And they, they're trying to start a metal band to play in Battle of the Bands. Very cute movie. Kind of reminded me of my high school time, you know, playing, you know, music and all that. Very sweet. I, I enjoyed it. I found myself having a lot of fun with it. Then I watched a movie on Hulu called Night House. Horror movie. Which I, I would recommend to you, and I think you would enjoy it. Very cerebral. That, that, that was good. And then I, I saw... I'm probably going to butcher this. Everything, everywhere, all at once? Yes, I yeah. watched this too. Yeah, I, I liked it. I thought it was really good. Usually it might be one of the movies I've seen in a very long time. Uh, editing is amazing. The acting is amazing. Like, I saw everybody like, loves this movie. I wouldn't, it's not like the perfect movie for me, I would say, but it's, it's pretty close to being like 
a 10. I think I gave it like an 8. Gotcha. Yeah. Mark, what about you? Anything? No, I was unable to make it to the movies this week, so you will not be subjected with opinions about Sonic the Hedgehog 2. Good. For at least one more week. Good. Because <laughs> I went to the theater this week, and I also saw everything everywhere all at once. And Mark, if you go to the movies to see Sonic 2 and not this movie, you're going to get kicked off the podcast, because I fucking love this movie so much. <laughs> it's the most fun I've had in a theater in such a long time like it's fun it's a like it's emotional it's well acted it's everything i wanted it to be as the guys that did swiss army man this might be better than swiss army man and swiss army man was one of my favorite movies of the last decade i don't envision the next eight years progressing without this still being in my top 10 of the decade I really enjoyed this movie. I think Michelle Yao was fantastic in it. I thought the whole idea of the whole thing was so creative and such a unique idea, even though we're knee deep in this multiverse kind of idea that is about to hit us like a ton of bricks in the next coming years. If it hasn't already with no way home. Yeah. It kind of ate Dr. Strange's lunch a little bit. (laughs) I'm excited to see how that it's going to be different. But oh, I'm, yeah, absolutely. I'm excited to see because you're right. You, you know, it kind of started with Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse. Yeah. And now yeah. it's kind of blossomed. I love the whole idea of a multiverse. Yeah, it's, just, it's just a great cool concept. And they they pulled this off so well. It's so creative. It's funny. Like <laughs> it's one of the best payoff of of a joke that I've seen in a long time with Rakakuni. Raccoonie, I thought uh, this is. I guess this is a light spoiler. I thought when you uh, when you were gonna say the the uh, payoff, I thought you were gonna talk about the butt plug. The butt plug was a great one too. Yeah, (laughs) that was really that was that was the that was Chekhov's butt plug. Yeah, (laughs) (laughs) You, you knew it was gonna happen sooner or later, and it was such a fantastic time. It's one of the most unique movies I've ever seen. Like it's, it's so like you've never, you haven't seen a movie like this. I know there's it's multiverse aspect to it, which you've Mm -hmm. seen, but it's just so different to almost like, again, like Swiss army man. And I felt coming out of Swiss army, man, I was like, I haven't seen a movie like this before ever. Mm -hmm. And I feel it felt the same way coming out of this. So Mark, if you have time to see two movies this week, (laughs) I know you're going to give, People that don't even need your money, your money to see Sonic 2. But if you have time, I highly suggest this movie. I think you're going to enjoy it. I, don't, I, I, I think I think a lot of people will enjoy this movie. I think you had me sold on uh, it's your favorites in Swiss Army, man. Yeah. Yes, that was Daniels. one of my favorite movies. Yeah, that I was a great movie. My, my only issue, and I think, well, I, I had two issues. One, I don't count because... I saw it on Friday night, and I had a I had a long week, so I thought it ran a little too long for my taste. But again, that could have just been a long week. I was tired. It was a Friday night, and for for such a unique movie, I kind of thought the end was just like a little too basic. But other than that, 
the story and the ideas and just like I said, the editing, the fast paced editing was phenomenal. I, I just yeah. I couldn't believe how they would they would just intersect different universes and and uh different characters within like the 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 finals the final fight scene and all that amazing amazing yeah yeah i just again i just i thought it was going to take a different i'm not angry with it obviously because I, it again it's great i thought they were going to take it a different direction at the end but that sure. you know, that, that's really it's just i'm i'm kind of nitpicking so mm-hmm. it, it it didn't really affect anything of in yeah. the movie. I really like the actress that played her daughter. That oh. one scene, that hallway scene, was so good. Yeah, but like that's like with the. I know what you're talking about. Yeah, basically her her introduction, more or less. Correct. Yes, she, man, and and like, I saw this with a friend of ours, and he he made a good point. Like, oh, it's it's really unique to have an overbearing mother as the hero of a movie. And yeah, like you don't see that very often. I was watching in one review and someone made a, the point of like, she's kind of unlikable at the beginning. Very unlikable. Yeah. You know, yeah. she's, she's not, not a good businesswoman. She's slightly racist. She's not a <laughs> particularly, yeah, she's homophobic. She's not particularly an attentive mother, an attentive wife. Mm-hmm. And they're in a world of shit because she's, not a good businesswoman. <laughs> I, mean, I, 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 my, fa- I think my favorite character was the husband, the actor who plays Short Round from Short Round. I had yeah. no idea who that it was Short Round, but yeah, it, it's Doom. he has the same exact voice he had when he was ten years old. And um, <laughs> I, I, I really, I connected with him the most because he's such a, such a. Any, it sounds like I'm patting myself on the back here, but he's such a sweetheart, and he's, he's nonviolent. And yeah. He just he loves his family, and I, I I felt like he has a line. Oh, it's such a good line when he talks about how he fights, mm-hmm. and I was like, that's awesome. That is such a good line, and like it really encapsulates his character, and it's such a turning point for everybody for two of the characters in the movie, and uh, so I I found myself really connecting with him. Yeah, he was great. They were the the whole cast was great. Even Jamie Lee Curtis, she has a very a very silly role, and she was good in it. Uh, yeah, no, I I fully enjoyed it. Yeah, I I would recommend this for everybody. Yeah, I could I could probably spend this entire podcast talking about it. But <laughs> that's not what this episode's about. Unfortunately, we watched a garbage movie. <laughs> yeah, not not on par. It's just a little bit below that movie i'd say yeah just misses the mark (laughs) yes yeah Yeah. not quite but we are going to take a quick break and you guys can list some ads and then we're going to get into this week's movie so we will be right back and welcome back now it's time to get into this week's movie and this week was a listener request i suppose sort of right dan you want to explain yeah so when this movie was on the list as we were going through it, I asked who picked it, and none of us could remember. None of us owned up to it. Like, oh, this has to be a listener request, and I sent it in. So we couldn't get to the bottom of it. And Hey, everybody, it's Anthony just cutting in. We lost about a minute and a half worth of audio. 
basically the only thing that you missed is the fact that we introduced the movie, which is The Master of Disguise from 2002, starring Dana Carvey, and we talk about how Jen, Dan's wife, was the one that suggested it. Couldn't remember who suggested it, but then while Dan and Jen watched it, she remembered it was her. So that's all you missed, and then we're going to cut right back in. From what I remember, I haven't watched much Dana Carvey stuff recently, like outside of, you know, Wayne's World and stuff. But I feel like he's got a little bit of the uh, Adam Sandler thing where when he's not reined in and given too much freedom, you get movies like this. But if you gave him a little like more structured, he's actually good and watchable. It's funny that you mentioned you mentioned Adam Sandler. And it, it, it's so weird how, you know, you, you kind of connect your your you connect your start to his wagon and how do we decide how does how do we as a society decide who gets a pass and who gets like brought down around adam sandler right because like everyone seems to give kevin james a pass like mm-hmm. he still gets work but then dana carvey doesn't get work so what is the barometer on the adam scan adam sandler scale here yeah i'm not sure i don't know what i mean kevin james never made this movie it's yeah. true, but he wasn't, he wasn't grown-ups. <laughs> he was, but man, I, I think the thing that would that would harm Kevin James is if he made a uh, Paul Blart three. Oh, that, that Mark, that's perfect. He's made two Paul Blart movies. People yeah, love he, Paul Blart, Mall Cop. What is that about? I don't know. <laughs> so, are those Happy Mad? They have to be Happy Madison. They're Happy Madison, yeah, yeah. So again, like, why does he get a pass? Those people love those movies. I, I don't, I don't understand that. I don't understand it at all. If I if I was the person making these decisions, there wouldn't be a Paul Blart two. There wouldn't be a Grown Ups two. Wouldn't have been a Jack and Jill. I, uh, I just I picture in my mind Sandler is a Roman emperor, and these char- these actors that are that are his friends get dragged out into the Colosseum, and he has to do the thumbs up or thumbs down with their careers, and <laughs> just the the bloodlust of the people. So he has to satiate them. Wait, like, how is Rob Schneider still getting work with him? I, I, why can't he, he throw Dana Carvey a bone? Is Rob Schneider still getting work? I feel like that ship might have sailed at this point. He, he was in the Netflix movie about on Peyton. Where, where oh, was he? And James, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's surprising because Schneider, his public persona is is working against him too. It's in the toilet. But you, yeah. you'll you'll never guess he he plays one of those like crunchy vegans and he's you'll never guess this a total pansy. Oh. Oh wow. Yeah, very that that's never been uh, used before. It's like it's like looking in a mirror, ah, huh, Dan. <laughs> that's yeah. That's <laughs> I, I, I talking about connecting with characters. That man, I just <laughs> I couldn't pull like, myself away. This is I have, wait. So have you seen? The Kevin James Sean Payton movie? I, I did, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay. We need, I just okay, told we need to dive head. into this. Yeah, yeah it's interesting because we talk about what we've watched each and every week, and hmm, surprisingly, <laughs> you did not mention this ever. Yeah, that was my choice. I kind of felt like, well, maybe this does it. Some things are better left unsaid, I, I suppose. <laughs> I, I knew I was in for a bad time with that movie. The very opening of the movie is after the uh, not the Patriots, the Saints win the Super Bowl, and it's Al Michaels talking with Kevin James as Sean Payton, and they're like ad-libbing lines and trying to be funny. It's like, oh, this is gonna be this is gonna be one hell of a ride. And now, was it real Al Michaels? It was real Al Michaels. Yeah, oh, or, uh, it was Jim Nance. I'm sorry, Jim Nance. 
So it, it was real Jim Nance. And it, it's, I, I couldn't, it was something along the lines of, no one else believed in you, Sean, but I did. And then Kevin James says, oh, I don't remember hearing that, Jim. And, and that's, that's the joke. They're just kind of like riffing off each other. So that, that kind of just sets up how bad the rest of the movie's going to be. Yeah. And <laughs> it, it really paints Sean Payton as a huge asshole. And I'm, I would imagine he kind of is. But they, they do, they really give him the business in this movie. Interesting. I don't plan on watching it, but I'll take your word for it. Yeah, it's not good. Yeah, we, have, we already have one terrible football-focused movie coming up. Oh, that's right. Yeah, I remember what you're talking about. Like, we were watching a football movie. <laughs> Go ahead, Mark. Where did you come from with Master of Disguise? As Dan mentioned, this was like a movie of like legend in terms of like internet memes and when people mention like the worst movies ever created. Yeah, it lives up to all of that hype. I know the joke on this podcast is I want things longer. Obviously, I don't want this movie longer. But when it ended, I like was like, wait, what? That's that's the end that there was like <laughs> there was like no build up. Like it just all of a sudden ends. Yeah, it was, um, it was merciful. <laughs> yeah, it was kind of like, oh, OK. Yay, I'm happy. Yay. I thought I had at least another good 20 minutes left when that final stuff happened. I was like, all right, here they're they're in the final, you know, area and they're seeing data and going to have this weird stupid thing where he's going to do multiple disguises and it's going to be slapsticky but not what happens at all yeah this movie is as i said a pile of garbage yeah and and that that's the nice one on the podcast saying that i i wasn't engaged watching the movie and i think i still got everything you need to get out of this movie yeah some of the jokes were way too like they beat them into the ground way too much and some of them made no sense, but for some reason, the writer or Dana Carvey or somebody thought it was funny. So it was in, it was like a joke thread throughout the whole thing. There's multiples of that. And yeah, it just felt like Dana Carvey. Now, and you, you know, time, I don't know if you know timeline wise, but was this after the sketch show? The Dana yes. Carvey, so Dana okay. Carvey show was like right after he left Saturday Night Live. Okay. This was after I was reading about it on trivia. He apparently had some health issues between the mid 90s and this. And this was sort of his comeback. He had like like a he had like complications from like heart surgery. Okay. And so he was out of like the spotlight for like seven years or something like that. And this was like his his return. More okay. or less. My, my point still stands, even though that's kind of sad, is that it felt like happy madison or whoever you know made the it probably adam sandler made the decision to do this we're just like dana do whatever you want just tell us what you need give us a script go you know we're not going to mm -hmm. restrict you too much because he even has a character in this movie that just seems like a knockoff of one of his famous characters so it was just like do what you think is funny keep the running jokes um and then without knowing much background i'm assuming the actors they got were people like he knew or was somewhere in the orbit to come in and do this stuff outside of, I think Jennifer Esposito, I think the rest of them had like at least some career and didn't need to do this movie. You know, at this point she was coming off spin city and stuff like that. Um, so maybe she needed it to get into movies, but it just felt like there were no shackles on Dana Carvey and the best he could squeeze out of it was uh, this 120 minute piece of trash. And, it looks like from the credits that there might have been deleted scenes that they just put in the credits, which is amazing. Yeah. So as for me, I've never seen this movie before. 
and yeah, it's bad. It's I've heard it's bad. It and it's lives up to that expectation. It is it is a tough watch. It's not it's not hateably bad. It's embarrassingly bad because those like Dan mentioned it. I like Dana Carvey. I I think he can be funny given the right circumstances. And it's it's sad to see him in this movie because it's everything is just secondhand embarrassment. Like this would be this would be half as terrible if he if the entire movie, he didn't have an accent. That is one thing that would make this movie a lot better is if he wasn't doing this bad Italian accent. And I'm glad this movie is less than its hour and 20 minute runtime. The opening credits go on for about four minutes and the end credits are about eight minutes or 11 minutes. Actually, there was still 11 minutes left on the counter when it hit the credits. So there's like 69 minutes of an actual movie in the year. Nice. Nice. (laughs) And that's mercifully short. (laughs) Um, Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I have a question for you guys. Marry, fuck, kill, master of disguise, the love guru, or the oh. pest. Oh wow! Yeah, the three Lord. vanity projects that are oh boy. terrible. Mark, I, <laughs> Mark, you have. I, an I I know one of them. I mean, um, just because it was the least offensive of the three, I would marry the master of disguise because the other two have very objectionable content in them even though this has one very bad moment in it and some other slightly bad ones but the other two are too much i don't know the other stuff (laughs) see i want to kill the love guru just because i believe that is just mike myers thinking he's funny more Mm -hmm. than you know what i mean like he's like no this is great what are you talking about like i feel like that movie has that attitude to it sure um while i think the pest was if he didn't write it, just feels like something John Leguizamo was given and thought and like maybe chuckled at and was like, sure, I'll make it. You're going to give me a million dollars or whatever. You know, I'll have some fun with this. But yeah, I, I think that would be the order. I mean, I guess I'm fucking John Leguizamo just because I kind of feel uncomfortable saying that I would fuck a PG movie in Master of the Skies. Uh, but yeah, yeah, I, I think I, I get more bad vibes and really just want to erase from the universe the love guru. Um, So I guess by default, you know, the pest gets fucked. (laughs) Dan, do you have a Mm. weigh in on that one? I I was hoping Mark would give me some like like a direction to go to, but it's tough. Uh, (laughs) All right. So I think I I, I do like what Mark said. This was probably the least problematic movie out of the three. So um, I'll marry this one uh, because so I'll I'll give Dana Carvey uh, like the pity fuck and all that. Um, I, I think I'm killing John Leguizamo because that movie is just nonstop annoying. Where... Uh, and, and be sure to clip that line out for the Instagram. <laughs> I think I'm killing John Leguizamo. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's just that that from the from be, literally beginning to end, it's annoying. Uh, this one is uh, Master of Disguise is just like Ant said, it's embarrassing. Uh, and then. Love Guru is that's just crash and burn. Uh, but I give Mike Myers a pass because of his prior work. I think so. I just remember the good t- while like while I'm banging uh, uh, Mike Myers, I'm remembering the good times we had. 
like, hey, remember when we we uh, we got together for you know Wayne's World? What about so I married an axe murderer? That was fun. Remember in your father's basement? That was great. Uh, I'm just I'm I'm imagining better times with Mike Myers. So I'll, I'm gonna bang Mike Myers, marry Dana Carvey, and kill off John Leguizamo. Okay. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know what it's. I think the kill the kill's got to be the love guru for me. <laughs> yeah. Why? Why? It's just pretty objectionable. Like, I don't think there's a wrong answer to this. Yeah, I don't think so. I don't think there's a right answer either. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, ju- I, I feel like I'm going to lean Mark's way with that. I feel like I'm going to get an STD from the pest, though. Oh, right? Yeah. You're getting gonorrhea. Well, if you're lucky. Yeah. I mean, well, there's medicine for that. That is true. Yeah. <laughs> and it's just once. So, it's you know. Get some antibiotics, you'll be fine. Yeah. Sorry to bring this down with that, with that <laughs> question. But I just felt like they were all very similar in these yeah. uh, these m- misinformed vanity projects from these comedians where it's just, yeah, these aren't good ideas. Nobody's telling them no. And they are a chore to watch, basically. That's I do love I do I do love the idea. I don't know if you guys uh, knew of this, but it's it's a rumor more than anything. Was that? Uh, <laughs> and they've said on the trivia, they said that it's not 100% true, but they said that the Turtle Club scene was shot on 9-11. <laughs> and like, they were all trying to fit. They're all sitting around trying to figure out what to do with Dana Carvey in the turtle costume, just oh. sitting there watching the events unfold. <laughs> I want it to be true. Uh, to be a fly on the wall there. <laughs> um, but apparently what happened is that uh they didn't start shooting until like two weeks after, but oh. it the first scene was the turtle club scene. So it, they all kind of had appropriate, right? It was like conversations about like, you know, what are you yeah. know, what are we doing? You know, is this should we be making jokes at a time like this, basically? Yeah, wasn't that one of the uh, things on the letterbox? Was this was the worst thing to happen on nine eleven? Yeah. So I I do wish that were true, but I feel like it's not. Um, can, can you imagine? It'd be like it's just Dana Carvey sitting there in that ridiculous costume. Like, listen, I sat through three hours of makeup for this. We're shooting this scene. Oh, him just sitting there like a terrorist win. Right. Just sitting on like an apple box with that stupid fucking turtle costume <laughs> on, just watching the news. <laughs> Tower two comes down. Now, just... Mark, are are you saying that Dana Carvey coined the term "We can't let the terrorists win"? <laughs> yes, I am I like saying that. that idea. That's fantastic. And he probably did it in the George W. Bush voice too. Oh, that's a good point. Yeah, yeah. Him and him and Jim Varney go down for inventing things that's right this podcast yeah, uh, yeah. prove us wrong um <laughs> do you think so we we've kind of seen you know john leguizamo has turned in a decent career after the past obviously you know he's done some good bit work here and there like uh, the happening like that <laughs> sure I, I don't blame that on him i blame that on the director um but even uh, uh, Mike Myers is kind of making a little bit of a comeback. He, he's done some things here and there. I think he has a new Netflix show coming out soon. Uh, but do you think we'll ever see a reemergence of Dana Carvey? Or is, is this just like slash and burn? I'd like to think that 
know that we haven't seen the last of him, but he's got to he's got to be six in his 60s at this point. Right. He was he was, I, this is another this is another instance where he's just too old for this part. He's 47 in this movie. Yeah. Yeah. It's way too old to be playing this this man child. Yeah. I, um, I yeah. think if he does come back, um, I, I, I could see him more going the route of like a Martin Short. You know, oh, coming back, as, you know, like come back doing some dramatic out of character stuff and then slowly get back into comedy, you know, um, you know, have people see another side of you and then maybe start throwing those George Bush impressions back in and sure. see what happens. Yeah, that's not a bad idea. It, I was thinking in this movie, uh, the, the dad played by James Brolin, um, he can turn whenever he goes into disguise. He, like they just get that actual person, right? They get like Jessica Simpson. Yeah. They get um, Jesse Ventura. Jesse Ventura. Okay. I forgot about that. But, yeah, they, they get actual celebrities. Why didn't they do that with Dana Carvey? Uh, I mean, because he is a man of a thousand faces. Oh, right. His so his yeah. his shtick is that he could do voices and quote unquote impressions. Yeah. Okay. It was just yeah. weird because I, I thought that would have been funnier. Right. Right. Yeah. The, and also, if we want to do an in-world reason, it's because he's only like a level one or two master of the skies. Uh, sure. That too. Okay. Yeah. yeah. I still yeah. think it's interesting because, Mark, you mentioned you thought the ending was going to be bigger. It's interesting yeah. how his whole ability to be a master of disguise does not play into the ending yeah. at all. No. Like it gets him it gets him into into the the house but really it doesn't cuz he disguises himself as a cherry pie yeah, which I is like I thought he was going to be the dog 100%. Right. That would have been but fun. But like yeah, he's not so much disguised as a pie as he is baked into a pie. Yeah. That's really not being that's not really a disguise. No. Um no. because yeah, then he just slaps around ninjas and that's it. Yeah. Yeah, the it, that's the only good joke in that whole scene is is the ninjas going, oh, no, he's a master of the skies. We're out of here. They're, I was like, OK, that's pretty funny. Um, but I I really was expecting as much as we made fun of him for it. Um, I was expecting that final scene to be more like one of those quick cut Jim Varney earnest scenes mm-hmm. where he just switches into different characters real fast. Sure. Um, you know, that's what that's what I was expecting. Um, and they didn't do it. Uh, you know, he could have went back and forth even through all the characters he's been already. Yeah. You know, sort of thing. Um, I think the only character, to be honest, um, that hits at all is that British character is really good. Um, I don't know what he was trying to channel there. Um, maybe Sherlock Holmes or something like that. But, you know, the the rest of them seem like they were like bad impressions. I'm like, okay, he's, I, I can see his process with this one. Um, mm-hmm. And it's actually not a bad impression of what he's going for. Um, yeah, sort of like a David Niven sort of. Yeah, yeah. It was like it, it felt like it was the one that children wouldn't get. Sort yeah. of. Yeah, and and for, I guess because we're not children watching it, that was the one I was drawn to sure. more than those, the you know. Those kids were clamoring for the Tony Montana impression. Yeah. in, like, oh, in two thousand and two. <laughs> yeah, well, well, that's why they all ended up with the posters on their wall in college, Ant. Oh, that's because true. Of this movie. Yeah, that's Not the kids watching this movie. <laughs> uh, you know, I, 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 oh, go ahead. Ant. I was going to say uh, the one the one the one line that I liked was 
I can't believe Jesse Ventura was the perfect person to abscond to the Liberty Bell. <laughs> it's such a stupid line, but yeah. it was like, but oh, that's ridiculous. It's a, good, it's a good way I could see, you know, because Dana Carvey does have, you know, you would assume comedic talent, like writing talent. Probably thought, like, probably got a list of here are the celebrities we can get for cameos, you know. Um, wh- you know, what one would match with what you're thinking. He's like, well, Jesse Ventura would be funny stealing the Liberty Bell. <laughs> you know, it's got, because yeah. it makes no sense. It would, no, it would have been great. You have Jesse Ventura start talking about the deep state at that point. Yeah. And then, <laughs> then it becomes well, think, a little better. I think it was pre him thinking big state. I think this uh, is he, when he just became the governor. He was still governor. He didn't get yeah. punched out by Chris Kyle yet. Nope. <laughs> I thought, wouldn't it have been a better movie if... Uh, like, <laughs> probably the, the answer is probably yes. Probably, yes, yeah. <laughs> probably. So I, I love the idea of somebody having to disguise themselves as insane celebrities or athletes and stealing precious artifacts. And I thought like that would have been such a more interesting movie instead yeah. of having Dana Carvey bumble around trying to get his dad back or his parents back. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, like make it so I had written down, make it so that the the parents have been kidnapped. He's not telling them where they are. And in order for Dana Carvey to get them back, he has to go steal these artifacts from, you know, wherever. But he has to do it as in disguise. It makes it yeah. much more intriguing. Yeah, you, you could even do the reverse. I mean, here's us trying to make this trash better. Um, do it in reverse where it. You, you don't see the father at all and the grandfather comes in and, you know, um, something happens where he's got to go find somebody that's stealing all these things. And then he runs into his dad in the middle of, you know, trying to stop him, you know. Yeah. Like do one of those reveals. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, yeah, yours probably like the whole that whole scene where the um, parents get kidnapped and then he calls the police and they tell him to hang up. Um, you know, really, you could have done so much more with um with just the general premise of this movie um normally as you know in this podcast i like to try to find the nugget that's in there i don't even think there is one here um because i think this whole movie as we said was just a vehicle to have dana carvey do a bunch of impressions for 69 minutes yeah you know um can you imagine or can you believe this movie not it doesn't have not only one two original songs i know i was thinking about that? that too it's like people wrote songs for this movie. <laughs> right. yeah. So, yeah, someone figured, I yeah, we got to get in on this. This is going to make this is going to be our big break. Yeah, I went down the random rabbit hole of finding out who the girl was that sang the opening song. And apparently she's just now a songwriter that's written songs for country singers. I was like, oh, hope she leaves this okay. off her resume. Yeah, this is the only thing not on her uh, Vivo. <laughs> hey, you wrote this for the original song for a Master of Disguise. No, you're thinking of... Uh... But you're thinking of Blondie. That was Blondie who did that. Yeah. <laughs> but she but she does have the video for her uh, song for the Inspector Gadget 2 soundtrack. Oh, oh good. There you go. She <laughs> really knows how to pick them. Yep. Yep. It's just like the one from Snow Day. <laughs> Don Ho's daughter. That was just like, yeah, ho- yeah. Just uh, picking songs for except in that case, these weren't like the wrong songs for the wrong movies. Um but it was just sort of like, hey, they ended up on these soundtracks in Radio Disney, and now they're off, you know, like, everybody will hear the song, but have no idea who sings it. Right. You know what I thought was kind of funny about this movie? 
how it kind of actively makes fun of itself for not being funny. It, there, there are several scenes where uh, Pistachio, Dana Carvey's character, Pistachio, makes a joke and no one laughs at it. Or like, yeah. there's no reaction other than that's stupid. So yeah. it's, it's like shitting on itself, essentially, right? Uh, uh, yeah. And it has, speaking of that, it has the longest payoff to a joke that I've seen in a terrible movie. The, you know, the whole bit with, uh, I forget his name, so I'm just going to call him Data because that is who the actor is. Oh, yeah. Um, Brent Spiner. Yeah. Um, the, the farting that his character does. Ugh, he shit. does all that, and the payoff is at the end of the movie. It's in every scene he's in. Yeah, but the payoff, like the big punchline joke, is what happens the last time we see him. Right. Is he alive, right? And then he just yeah. has a big fart. Yeah, <sighs> in the pool. But yeah. that's how you know you're you're watching a Happy Madison. There's mm. farts everywhere. <laughs> yeah. So, The Master of Disguise from 2002 is directed by Perry Anlin Blake. It's his only directed film, but he's been production designer on basically every single Happy Madison film, as well as Billy Madison and Happy Gilmore. Stars Dana Carvey, Jennifer Esposito, Harold Gould, James Brolin, Brent Spiner, Edie McClurg, Maria Canals Barrera, Jay Johnston, Vincent Riverside, and Keenan Thompson. Has an IMDb score of 3.3 and a Rotten Tomatoes score of 1%. There's one reviewer gave it a positive score. (laughs) Budget. Real real quick, real quick. I'm sorry to cut you off. I was blown away. Keenan Thompson got a credit in this movie. He's in one scene. Yeah, it one comes scene. back to the credits too. Unbelievable. Yeah. And he gets, a, he gets a credit for it. And do they ever call him Keenan at any point? Because he's, he's, I believe he's credited as himself. I don't think anybody calls him by his name. I think he says, hey, look at this. And that's it. <laughs> so the easiest payday he ever got. Yeah. Uh, budget sixteen million dollars. Box office forty million dollars domestic, with forty three million dollars worldwide. I was surprised at that number. That is surprising. Yeah. It, the, the, how much was opening weekend? Does it say? I believe it was about thirteen, twelve or thirteen. Okay, I was gonna, I was gonna say if two thirds of that number was opening weekend, I could see word of mouth. You know. Yeah, but it almost made it would almost matched its budget in opening weekend, which was interesting. Uh, surprising. I did not expect that, but oh. Uh, I expected this thing to never make its money back. So uh, you guys want to get into the plot? Sure. Sure. (laughs) Dan, what do you got? Just going to give a quick shout out to our good friends. We've heard her on the podcast before. Our friend Tia and her podcast, The Top 10 with Tia. She and her friend Brittany run down top 10 lists. Great podcast. She's awesome. Very funny. Very nice. Go over to geekvibesnation.com. Just check out Top 10 with Tia. You'll find it there. Uh, please rate and review it. Follow her uh, on Twitter at TC underscore Stark and enjoy. Okay, great. And we are going to take a quick break and you guys are going to listen to some messages from friends of the podcast. And we will be back in a second. Hey, everyone, this is Steve. And this is Adam. And we're part of the Hop Nation USA podcast. Pittsburgh's number three craft beer podcast. Join us every Friday for new beer reviews. We'll talk about the news, history, and homebrewing. Plus, we'll sit down with the best brewers and industry personalities that'll have us. So whether you're a casual drinker, a hazy boy hophead, or even if you're a whale hunting cellar hoarder, just search Hop Nation USA on Apple, Spotify, or your favorite podcatcher and join the nation.
Oh, hi. Didn't see you there. It's me, George, from the best little horror house in Philly, the show where we talk about the best horror movie ever made, according to our guest at least. We've talked about groundbreaking classics like Texas Chainsaw Massacre and Alien, but we've also got a lot of great ones coming up, including some very fun guests like Len Kabazinski of Swamp Zombies and Red Letter Media fame, Caroline Williams, the star of Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2, and Chase Williamson from John Dies at the End. So make sure you're subscribed to the best little horror house in Philly, and I'll see you boils and ghouls over there. And welcome back. Now it's time to get into the plot for The Master of Disguise. We open on an absurdly long credit sequence, and from the Revolution Studios logo to the opening narrator, roughly two and a half minutes pass for this. The opening narrator tells of a family that uses the powers of disguise in order to keep evil at bay. We then cut to Palermo, Italy in 1979, as Bo Derek in braids, a la 10 makes her escape from a bearded leisure suit wearing Brett Spiner. Yeah, you know, you know, all them, all them kids, as we talked about earlier, just love the movie 10. They're big, big Dudley Moore fans, those 10 year olds. Um, he's some sort of rich asshole with an estate who thought he was about to bang Bo Derek, I suppose. The narrator tells us that it's not Bo Derek, it's actually the narrator's son, Fabrizio, who makes his getaway in an Italian taxi as Brett's, as Brett Spiner gets arrested. I don't exactly know what uh, Fabrizio's plan is here, what he was trying to do, or what was happening, but... Yeah, why was guess... Brett Spiner arrested? What, like, what was he arrested for? We have no idea. Was he trying to steal rare goods? Rare goods, uh, rare Bo Derek's rare goods. Yeah, <laughs> is that what it, he was trying to sleep with Bo Derek? <laughs> I assume that's why she was at his house, or Fabrizio was at his house as Bo Derek. That's a strange sting operation. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, yeah, but Bo Derek in the cab removes her disguise to reveal it's actually James Brolin, Fabrizio disguisey, and he vows that he will never tell his son of the family's legacy as masters of disguise. Again, we don't know why. (laughs) (laughs) We then cut to present-day America, where Fabrizio's son, Pistachio, is a bit of a man-child, but he still doesn't know that he is a master of disguise, but has come out naturally in other ways, including an irresistible urge to mimic people. And for some reason, he wears underwear on his head, and Dana Carvey is 47 in this movie, by the way. (laughs) Real quick, was he supposed to be doing a Gandalf impersonation with the... He has the hockey stick... And the the uh, uh, shaving cream uh, shaving cream beard was that uh, be Gandalf? I, mean, I don't know. Okay, to be honest with you. like what else could it's two thousand two? Fellowship of the Ring came out in two thousand one. Yeah, what else could it have been? It yeah, it's definitely possible. Uh, Fabrizio tells Pistachio that there's a girl waiting for him downstairs. So Pistachio goes down, says hi to his mom, played by Edie McClurg, completely underutilized in this movie. That goes outside to meet Sophia, a woman he had a single date with who he is now calling his love cake creep. She tells him that she had a good time on their date, but he's not her type. She has a boyfriend, so don't call her, and then she leaves. Not really sure why she even met with him, except to sashay her big butt, which reminds him of his mother, which is weird, down the street and knock over a sandwich board, which then in turn makes a skateboarding child faceplant in front of the restaurant. Sashio helps the kid up and introduces himself. The kid introduces himself as Barney Baker, a kid with no dad. And also there's a dog. This led to one of the my least favorite parts of the movie, where he keeps calling him Brave Barney Baker, mm-hmm. and it it really there's really no reason for me to not like it. It's just him saying it in the Italian accent annoyed me. Sure, and he says it quite a bit. 
So yeah. again, it, like just every scene in this movie is bad. So yeah, you could pin, you could kind of just like pick and choose which things bothered you, and this is what bothered me. <laughs> yeah, I was, I was hoping the kid would be more involved in some integral part of the yeah. plot, being serious about it. Uh, but spoilers, he's not. It would have been better than having the mom, I think. Yeah, right. I, I, I think, I think instead of him just whispering in his ear later in the movie. If they could have had him some way involved in the whole rescuing everyone uh-huh. thing. They even set it up in the movie, right? He goes to the yeah. tryouts. The little kid goes to the the, oh, the auditions. And the, the grandfather yeah. makes fun of him for some reason. Uh, little baby, he's tough. <laughs> yeah. What a jerk. Uh, <laughs> it's a little yeah. kid. Yeah, and you, you could have tied everything together. You could have had him do some cool skateboard trick to help, yeah. like, unhook his mother from the chain or something. Yeah, you could have him do some, like, sick ollies over Brent Spiner or something. Yeah. <laughs> Pistachio goes to work as a waiter in his parents' restaurant and runs afoul of the new waiter, Rex. January 6th insurrectionist Jay Johnston. Rex uh-huh. trips... <laughs> what was that? Is it, uh-huh? <laughs> Rex trips Pistachio as he's holding several plates full of food, and he winds up dropping them all on a family of guests. Then we get an extended scene of Pistachio trying to clean off said guests. And it goes nowhere. Pistachio then serves a Texas couple who acts, whose accents triggers Pistachio's deep-seated master disguise tendencies. And he starts to mimic the couple who do not appreciate being made fun of. Fabrizio comes over to calm things down, but winds up throwing out the Texas couple for calling Pistachio a nutball. And Pistachio tells his dad that the mimicking is getting worse and that maybe his destiny is somewhere other than the restaurant. But Fabrizio assures him that his destiny is at the restaurant, that he is a good waiter. And then there's a Papa Don't Preach joke for no reason, as if it was oh, 1987. Yeah. Again, those 10-year-olds just loving that late 80s Madonna. Yeah, it's it's just that these these guys have such short shelf lives, I suppose, when it comes yeah. to like their frames of reference. Like, do you have to be a 27-year-old com- com- comedic actor to be relevant? Yeah. I, it I, must I, be, right? Cause, yeah, yeah they, they kind of cling to what was what they knew was funny. When they were bigger, it seems like. Right. Right. And I mean, we've done so many 2000s comedies at this point where you can see that they just they they couldn't adapt to the time. Yeah. Does does this mean that Pete Davidson is what the kids get these days? Yeah. I I mean, that's what those that's what the all the hotties are getting, too. Oh, yeah. Just running, run a train on them hoes. Talk about things I don't understand. (laughs) uh yeah i i feel like i feel like it's a thing that we just wind up seeing a lot of like how short the the life of a comedic actor like a saturday night live alum is like even will ferrell arguably like one of the most successful snl alums come out in the past you know 25 years and like anchorman 2 was such a bad idea yeah (laughs) oh yeah and it's such a departure from the first anchorman it, it was really night and day what happened and then you know what he do sherlock and watson or whatever watson and holmes i think it was yeah um, it's know. like the recipe is exactly the same mm-hmm. of the things that work like anchorman stepbrothers talladega nights for the people that like talladega nights like he was at the top yeah and then there's just at some point it's just like it's not gonna work anymore Whatever yeah. you're doing will stop working. Yeah. It's like it, even like even like a guy like Judd Apatow, same thing. Oh, yeah. Like, who's not a comedic actor, he's just a, a you know, a writer. Same thing. It's nothing anything that nothing specific he did. It's just one day it just stopped working. 
I wonder if it's just like everybody, you know, everyone is funny in their group of friends. You know what I mean? And then mm-hmm. eventually your group of friends kind of mature. And the, the, the guy who was funny, maybe he's not as funny anymore in that group because he mm-hmm. just couldn't keep up with his friends. Maybe that's what it is. Like these guys were all funny for that time period. And then that's all they knew how to be funny in. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's fascinating. Yeah, it, it is actually. It's very. It's got to be such a big accomplishment if you can continue to be funny. Like, uh, Mark, you mentioned like Martin Short. Um, yeah. Like Steve Martin is still pretty funny. They have a show out. You can do it, but you kind of just have to. You have to evolve with it, and a lot of these yeah. guys don't. It, yeah. Not to like get into. We probably want like a long dissertation on comedy, but. The ones that survive and last a while, like at, become like older comedians um, that like don't live off their name because um, there's a lot of that are, you know, I'm thinking the guys like Martin Short and, you know, Steve Martin, even Carlin, for an example, is there actual funny guys that like usually when they make jokes or have things to say, like have some kind of thoughtfulness behind it? Mm-hmm. Like it's not just trying to get the a reference or a quick you know, set a punchline, you know, sort of thing. Like there, there's, there's a lot of thought behind what they do, um, which is why I think like the Martin Short comeback was, hey, I'm going to show you that I know how to do this craft, and then you'll come back into my comedy, and you know, we'll figure it out um, from there. But yeah, any, any, usually the ones that last a while tend to be the ones that are not like either don't have some kind of gimmick or don't. You know, just just their comedies all references. Like like I, I know I keep saying it, but you think of a guy like Dane Cook, you oh. know, who once all those references are old, he's done. Yeah. He fills it up pretty quickly compared to our guys. But here. they have the skyrocket, you know, heights. Yeah. You know, while all those references are great and they hit it. And I I, I don't know if you guys agree with this, um, and I haven't seen the new one, but I feel like that older like Still been able to sort of change with the times. There, there are bits and pieces of the jackass stuff that still hold, like as they do it, that still hold, like uh, for an audience. Um, you know, uh, because you know they knew how to grow with what some of the newer jokes were, or or like just evolve, as you said, Dan. Right. Um, and it's not didn't just try to keep doing the same old thing. Mm-hmm. So later, Sashu is outside the restaurant and sees Rex making out with Sophia, who tells him the weird voices were funny for a second, which is one second longer than the weird voices in this movie. Then as Fabricio is throwing out trash in the alley, a bunch of goons approach him and kidnap him and Pistachio's mom and throw them into the back of the car and speed off. Pistachio tries to call the police, but they think it's a prank call, so he preys on his mom's cannoli and faints. And his grandfather shows up, telling him he's here to help Pistachio find his parents. After slapping Pistachio a couple of times, Grandfather disguises himself as the maid in order to show Pistachio the art of the disguises. Then we get a history lesson regarding the disguises. A disguise was the cherry tree George Washington was meant to cut down, and disguise helped Lincoln get elected president. That's, Lincoln, that might be the worst. That, that was pretty bad. Mm-hmm. And anytime you stick current music in a distant flashback, you've lost it, it's not funny whatsoever. They had, what was it, like, I, I like to move it, move it to the Abraham mm-hmm. Lincoln speech. Yeah. 
stop it. Don't ever <laughs> e- again. We're not comedians. We're none of that. But we know for a fact to not do that in your comedy movie. Don't do it. Yeah. Grandpa tells Pistachio that he will need to learn the ways of the Skyzies in order to save his parents. Grandpa says that they need to find Fabrizio's nest, a place that's dark and secretive where he would have, I don't know, disguised himself as things. So yeah. Pistachio brings Grandpa up to the attic and find Fabrizio's nest hidden by a Rube Goldberg machine. And now Grandpa can teach Pistachio to how to be a master of disguise. Yeah, I think the nest was just that whole joke was just for that Rube Goldberg type device thing to Hilarious. open it. That, that was the whole point of the nest. Yeah. It's a montage of Pistachio doing a bunch of stupid faces, blowing up like a balloon and dressing up like a schoolgirl. Meanwhile, Fabrizio is woken up by Brett Spiner, who plays Devlin Bowman, a rich man that wound up going to prison for 20 years after the whole Bo Derek thing. Again, no idea what he did. And now he's kidnapped Fabrizio in order for him to use his disguise ability to steal the world's most rare treasures. Oh, and Bowman farts for some reason. And that is an ongoing thing. Unfortunately, we go back to Pistachio, who is now knee-deep in brownface as he's trying to pass himself off as Indian. Grandpa tells him that he needs to learn to go deeper into the skill of Disguisey to harness Energico Energico. (laughs) in order to truly become another person. Why didn't they just hire Fisher Stevens for this? (laughs) (laughs) And the brownface gets worse now as he goes full Apu stereotype and charms a snake. Grandpa then shows Pistachio how to fight with an open fist because a slap lets a person keep their dignity. In reality, there's a limit to closed fist violence in a PG movie, so that's why everybody gets slapped. Oh, that makes more sense. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Meanwhile, Fabrizio poses as Michael Johnson, the fastest man alive, and runs off with the Constitution for Bowman. I kind of thought that was a little funny. Just a little. Yeah. I I thought that was like... Odd enough to be, yeah, you know, that's kind of humorous. Yeah, just the way yeah. they, the, just the attitude around it. Like, exactly. Thanks for letting me borrow the Constitution. Well, you're the fastest man alive. Anything for you. It's that's absurd. I, so exactly. it works. Yeah, I, I love that. Just how you, you could almost see it becoming a real thing with how we are so celebrity obsessed in this country. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, sure. If you can't trust the fastest man alive, who can you trust? You know? Right. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, it's the only one that's timely and makes sense, like as a joke, um, you know, because he just run 2000 and won a gold medal. Um, so doing all that. So, like, OK, this makes sense. The rest of the celebrity cameras that we'll get to were just sounds like the people they were able to get for that day of shooting. You think? Uh, I feel like Jessica Simpson was pretty popular back then. No, right? no, no. But but her connection to the thing they were stealing, you know, like at least Michael Johnson running away with the Declaration of Independence is actually a pretty good funny reference. But, you know, do you to think, do. Do you think Disney saw this and took inspiration for uh, National Treasure? Possibly. I hope so. <laughs> As or did they see a, or sorry. Good. I was going to say, or did they see a spec script for National Treasure and write this movie? Either way. <laughs> As Pistachio trains, he winds up getting slapped around by the dummy. And Grandpa Pistachio check out the girls on the street, but wind up ogling a dude with a giant ass. And then Grandpa decides that Pistachio needs an assistant. So montage again as they interview a bunch of different applicants for the job. None of them are to their liking. But then Barney Baker crashes outside the restaurant. and His mom, Jennifer, played by Jennifer Esposito, shows up for the job application. So they bring her in and immediately ask her for her measurements for the quote unquote uniform, but then start making fun of her for having a small ass. 
and they give her the job, but then tell her that she must try to resist Pistachio because assistants often fall for their master of the skies uh, employers. Oh, grandfather's. You know what I realized? This grandpa is very much the kind of grandpa where you would say, oh, you know, he's just set in his ways. (laughs) A.K.A. the racist, homophobic grandfather. Yeah, I kind of wish it was played by Brian Cox. (laughs) (laughs) You can't get Brian Cox in this movie. It it instantly changes to be at least (laughs) PG-13. Yeah. I just think I think of his character in Trick or Treat. Oh, yeah. That would be pretty good. <laughs> just just constant. Because he would be much funnier to see him yelling at people, right? Yeah. And he would be he would be probably again, you're you're gonna get some choice words from him, I'd imagine. Yeah. And then the grandfather says that his job is done teaching pistachio. So it's now up to him to find out why his parents were taken. So also gives him a nest in a box plus a disguisey ball of knowledge. And Grandpa gets mad at Jennifer for asking legitimate questions about the dental plan. And Jennifer's pistachio start off by sifting through the garbage in the alley to see if they could find any information. They find a cigar from the Turtle Club and Pistachio says they should go to the club to check it out. So Pistachio disguises himself as Mitch McConnell and they go to the club. (laughs) And they talk to the guy hand-rolling cigars at the club who immediately offers up the fact that he rolled it specifically for Devlin Bowman but refuses to give them info on where Bowman lives. As they leave, a couple of guys sexually harass Jennifer, so Pistachio hides in his turtle shell and then bites the guy's nose off and then spits back on his face and then spins on the shell, and then we cut away from that scene. Easily. Which is a very weird moment. Easily the worst part of this movie, right? Yeah. Yeah, and remember when I said at the top of the the episode, you can pinpoint a an actor's career dying to this scene it, it, yeah. like, in active time. And this was like the trailer moment, the turtle club. Yeah. That was like, that was the selling point. Everybody knows this one scene. Yeah. It's so bad. Everything about it, the, the, the way he looks, the way he talks, the CGI. Oh my goodness. It, it's, it's a disaster. People love it. Apparently your wife loves it. <laughs> oh, I don't really. Hey, listen, let's not go that far. That, don't don't talk about my wife like that, Anne. All right? <laughs> How dare you, sir? I, I, again, I think it's just she remembered that scene and thought it would be good for a podcast. I that's what I'm holding she, on to. She just needs you just need to come to accept that your wife likes this movie, and you know you can uh, Im, you know improve. Oh, and yourself. The, the balls on this woman. She didn't even watch the whole thing with me. Oh, she, what? <laughs> she left like. Uh, I'd say three quarters of the way through the movie. She was like, okay, I've, I'm going to go downstairs. <laughs> you can't do this to me. Mm, not right. Not right. right. Yeah, that, that that should count as like domestic violence. Yeah, she always does this every time she, she suggests a movie. She was on our ass for like four years about rubber before we even had this podcast. That's and right. She was like, bye. Watch <laughs> this movie. Bye. <laughs> oh, because she had already seen it with a friend. That's why. Look, oh, I don't need yeah. to see it again. No, no, that's not how this works. All right. <laughs> you recommend a movie. You have to suffer with me. Yeah. I'm probably the only person that's watched Master of Disguise twice. <laughs> this was again. This was the first time. I'll never need to see this movie again, right? No. No way. Because my kids are never going to know about this movie. No, why would they? Exactly. So this is it. One-time deal. That's it, babe. (laughs) I I bet Dana Carvey's family has not seen this more than once. Probably not. (laughs) He doesn't 
uh, he doesn't uh, give them the subject them to this movie. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> he, he, he used his punishment first, kids. <laughs> you guys don't behave back there in that car. I'm going to put Master of the Skies on the TVs. Just go silent. <laughs> we'll be good. So Pistachio drives Jennifer home on his Vespa and she tries to quit, but she gives him another day and he gives her a pair of knee pads for Barney. Meanwhile, Fabrizio, dressed as Jesse Ventura, absconds with a Liberty Bell, and Bowman farts while he laughs again. Was it funny, though? No. Oh, okay. I'm just wasn't <laughs> funny for you? No. I just thought maybe the second time would be funny for you guys. It wasn't. Okay. No. The next day, Pistachio meets Jennifer's boyfriend, Trent, who's worried that Pistachio is trying to steal Jennifer away, and Pistachio uncontrollably starts to mimic Trent and almost causes him to fight Trent. Then Jennifer shows up again and they stop. See, this is how you know the time period this was made in. If this was made today, that guy's name would definitely be Chad. <laughs> yeah, for sure. sure. Also, he doesn't really need to exist in this movie, right? No, not at all. Yeah, he lifts right out of this movie. Again, mm-hmm. just like the farting thing, he only exists for one callback joke a little bit later in the movie. Yeah, I, uh, it's, the, the entire time, I, I get it's the show, oh, you know, Pistachio is so much nicer of a man. And this guy, because the the stepdad makes fun of the kid, but again, yeah, like there's no everyone else makes fun of the kid already. You don't need another person to make fun of the kid. Yeah, you know, you're just being mean. Yeah, I feel like that's so the the scene that Mark is alluding to is the scene in the restaurant. Um, yeah, that scene could basically be the same if that's Rex in that spot too. Yeah. Oh, that's a good point. Yeah, you know, we don't need both Rex and Trent in this movie oh. at all. Oh okay. yeah, yeah. I was not saying that. <laughs> no, I know. I'm just saying it's uh, like structurally, you don't need two doofus, like two like bullies, basically, in this. You no. could combine them. Um, but as Pistachio fights with the training robot again, Jennifer finds some information on Bowman on classmates.com. His profile basically lays out his entire plan. Jennifer mentioned she knows of an antique memorabilia show that seems like would be right up Bowman's alley. So they go to it with Pistachio dressed up as an old lady with an annoying voice, sort of very much like church lady. Oh man, I didn't even see the resemblance, Aunt. (laughs) (laughs) And then wind up meeting Bowman at the show, who then invites Jennifer to his house as he's having a show for some South American arts dealers. I wrote arms dealers, which would have been way better. Yeah, (laughs) but he probably wouldn't have said that out loud. Oh, that's a good point. You're having art dealers. That's not illegal. You can have art, art dealers at your house. Why not? I mean, I assume unless it's just a a money laundering scheme, which all art is. Yep. Um, <laughs> well, I, they don't. At least they don't make it seem that way, right? They, they, there's no. Talk <laughs> that is that is not the point of this. Yeah, is is not to insinuate that they're uh, laundering money through art. Um, yeah, now you sales. know why I hate art. That's why Mark hates art. He's like, oh, oh, it's a scam. It's they're a- just laundering money that way. It's so funny because we were talking about Brent Spiner for the most part. Other than, you know, he's, he's getting someone else to steal things for him. There's, we don't know his motivation. Why is he evil? Is he just he's just yeah. a bad guy for the sake of being yeah. a bad guy? Yeah, the closest explanation we get is that, and again, blast from the past, that classmates.com thing that she finds. Yeah. Okay. You know, that um, is basically explaining everything he's doing in this movie. Yeah, I, to, again, real the real villain of all of this is capitalism. It always circles back. Yep. He's just he's just trying to make it in a capitalist society. Well, he's we forced to steal yeah. these rare 
got uh, rare items in order to make a living. Can we say, like, is the Moon Rover really at the top of the list of rare collectibles? I, I mean, there's only one. I guess. I, I bet, I, like, we're talking about the constant or the uh, right, the Constitution, the the Liberty Bell. Like, those are right. like, you know, those are it's. It's the comedic rule of three, though, right? It's got to so. be. It's rules of three, and then it's got to be each more one more ridiculous than the last. So, okay. go from the Constitution. Okay, it's small, you know, fits in a pocket. And then Liberty Bell is pretty big, and I'm assuming it's a ton, yeah. <laughs> like literally yeah. a ton. That's why Jesse Ventura has to carry it. And then it's like, well, all right, we need something slightly bigger than that. And then the Apollo 11 lander, which might actually be lighter than the Liberty Bell. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> yeah, that, I guess that makes sense, right? If you're going for the absurdity of it, sure. Yeah. Um, so they defy, they defy his plan to go and Jennifer shows up at Bowman's and then excuses herself. And Pistachio shows up as Tony Montana to distract Bowman as Jennifer goes into the house to see if she can find any evidence regarding the whereabouts of Pistachio's parents. Then... Uh, Pistachio just decides to go up on stage and dance to Gloria Stefan, uh, all the while doing this Tony Montana impression. Then Bowman gets upset that Tony Montana guy is running around ruining his party, so he sticks his goons on him to throw him out. So Pistachio runs off. Yeah, um, even before this, there's another version of like I said that joke that they just ran into the ground about the tiny wieners and small nuts. Yeah, oh yeah. Um, he just keeps pushing it and basically going, "You guys get it right? All right, no, one more time. We'll make one more reference to it." Make yeah. sure you guys you understand that I'm talking about his dick and balls. Let's keep I could going. say this I could say this one more time in a PG movie, so I'm gonna use it for yeah. all I can. It's definitely that's really for the kids, right? Mm-hmm. You could yeah. see little kids giggling and like, oh he said wiener. Yeah. And when the goons catch up to him, he's now doing a Robert Shaw impression. And they eventually again, figure again, out And the kid loves Robert Shaw. Right. Yeah. Who doesn't love a good Robert Shaw impression? <laughs> I thought it was actually eventually a decent, imp- uh, decent impersonation yeah. of Robert Shaw. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They eventually figure out he it's him, so they go chasing him again. And now he's disguised as a cow pie. And then we have some sort of Hard Day's Night slash Scooby-Doo sort of type moment where the henchmen are chasing pistachio around dressed like a cow pie as music plays. And then he shows up as a weird German guy saying he needs to talk to Jennifer. And it, 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 This is saying something, but that might have been my least favorite character of his. Yeah. I, I Thank God it's only like 30 yeah. seconds. That... that could have lifted out too because that character does nothing yeah no because then he immediately changes into the british guy right again just like you said it's a vanity thing like i i, ha- I can do a good german impersonation so i'll stick that in there yeah so the henchmen come to grab bowman who is in the middle of making jennifer all uncomfortable and when they come to see the german guy pistachio is now a british guy and he and jennifer leave and then bowman sends his henchmen to follow them they wind up at a bar to debrief and Pistachio tells Jennifer he thinks Bowman is using his dad to disguise the ability to get the rare artifacts. And then he knock, accidentally knocks a tray out of the waitress's hands that spills water all over Trent, who has another at another table on a date with Sophia. So Pistachio and Trent get into a fight, and Pistachio slaps the shit out of Trent in the middle of the bar, making Sophia turned on, but he pushes her away and leaves with Jennifer. Meanwhile, Fabrizio, as Jessica Simpson walks off with the Apollo 11 Moonlander, Pistachio walks Jennifer home and she gives him a pep talk that she believes he will find his mom and dad and they kiss. Jennifer goes inside and Bowman's henchmen show up to kidnap her. 
As Pistachio is home, he uses the sky's ball of knowledge to summon his grandfather. And Barney comes over to tell Pistachio that his mom is gone and that all that's left is a cigar that he recognizes as Bowman's. So they devise a plan. Meanwhile, Bowman meets with Kevin Nealon, who is a representative of Blackmark eBay, which I feel like they're they could have tried three or four more tries to get that joke to land. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Why not just say like Bo- the black market? Yeah. We, we would get and Bowman it. plans. Yeah. Bowman plans to auction off all the rare objects. And he's going to give Bowman. Um, he's going to give a Bowman mask to Fabrizio and glue it on his face and toss him off a cliff in order to fake his own death. <coughs> Excuse me. Pistachio hides in a giant cherry pie to sneak into Bowman's house. And then he infiltrates the house, but he forgets to lose his cherry pie shoes. And Bowman realizes he's pistachio while trying to disguise himself as one of Bowman's henchmen. So then he goes around slapping a whole bunch of ninjas as Bowman runs away, farting the entire time. And then Fabrizio from out of nowhere now thinks he is Bowman and starts climbing the Apollo 11 lander. Till pistachio puts underwear on his head to remind Fabrizio of who he is. And it works and he's able to shake the mask off as if it wasn't a mask. And then Grandpa shows up out of nowhere, and Grandpa's VO says that Pistachio and Jennifer wound up getting married. Pistachio is now a master of disguise. And then later, Bowman is at a resort after his success, and Pistachio is in disguise as President George W. Bush and winds up slapping the crap out of Bowman. And then we have eight minutes of extra scenes during the credits. Oh. And this movie will not end. It, it refuses to die. Yeah. <laughs> Even the end end. You know? yeah. yeah, it's one of those, like, why are you guys still here? Like the first viewer, right. and, and that's not even the last scene. Yeah, yeah. they have a scene with the do- with the dog. Oh yeah, that's right. Yeah, and is that is that guy supposed to be Super Mario? Is that sort he's, of the reference? I guess he's dressed like him, but he never, you know, there's no reason for it to be like that. No, no. Oh, man, it's again. I couldn't. I couldn't tell what was worse, the movie or the end credits, because the end credits is what wasn't good enough to make it into the main movie. Yeah. So that's got to be telling. And, and yeah. there's a scene where I, I forget exactly what's happening, but you can hear like really forced laughter from the crew in the background. I, I guess Dana Carvey messes something up and you could just hear like a few chuckles here and there. And usually during outtake scenes in a comedy movie, you'll everybody's like dying laughing. Here you just kind of get like a couple. Oh, yeah. That, OK. Yeah, yeah. That's funny. Ooh. Yeah. Yeah. And the one scene they show now after credit scene of, of Jennifer Esposito breaking, I don't even know why she breaks. Right. Like, yeah. I feel like I feel like uh, bloopers are never for the audience. They're right. for the people that made them mm-hmm. because they're never funny. Very rarely. Yeah. Speaking like, you know, as a guy that was in some bloopers and a guy that made some bloopers. Oh, yeah. As first hand experience, <laughs> experience of making bloopers and shitty, shitty movies. Yeah. Um, yeah. The audience doesn't care. <laughs> mm-hmm. I, I think it's kind of just a like, yeah, like you said, it, it's to fill some time and it's it's for the crew and all that. Yeah, I, I, I think there is there's a minimum amount of, of a runtime you you could have in order to um, consider it a feature length film. Mm-hmm. And this movie uses that time because if if that go if that still counts, if it's bloopers and all that deleted stuff that counts as a runtime it's true so i i think it's like 75 minutes maybe that it needs to be so they put that in there to match that um this movie this movie is one of the shortest movies we've reviewed and yet it feels like the longest movie we've reviewed. yeah 
It's a rough time. Oh god, it every scene is just a chore to get through. It's yeah. it's like its own mini battle mm-hmm. in the greater war of Master of Disguise. And <laughs> it, it it just wears you down. This movie beats you down, man. Yeah. Yep. And that's Master of Disguise. I I did not have a good time, and I don't I don't want to talk about it anymore. <laughs> <laughs> we can be finished. Yeah, man. Uh, and I, I think there was definitely an audience for this movie because, like you said, it it almost made its money back, right? Yeah, it it made over forty million dollars. It, so its its budget was seventeen, sixteen million, and it made forty three total. Oh, okay, so okay, so it it definitely had a niche. Like, there was there were people for that this movie was made for. I, I just think it was for lame people, you know, just people. It's who, for kids, for which kids. Are, who are lame people. Children are lame people. Children are they? They've done nothing cool with their lives. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah it's uh, that that's a Instagram post. Children are lame people. They one hundred percent are. Yeah. I mean, I I know some older people who because it's well not. No, offensive because there's definitely the one scene where he's pretending to be Indian. But mm, yeah. I mean, other than that, it's just it's Dana Carvey doing a bad Italian accent. You know, it, he he doesn't do much to offend other than that one scene. I I would say. Yeah. Yep. So that's gonna do it. Master of Disguise from 2002. Don't watch it. Really. <laughs> Can't. And, yeah. If I had one one piece of advice for you in in life is to not watch Master of Disguise. Can we make this yeah. podcast where we? It sounds like it's going to end, but we just yeah, we'll, we'll, we bring it back. Oh, you thought it was over? <laughs> just kidding. No, we're not going to do that to people. Okay. So we're just going to try and end this without you guys interrupting. Uh, so uh, don't watch Master Disguise. But if you are on Twitter, check out our poll that's still going on. If you're listening to this on Thursday, Tick Tam Pod is the Twitter and you can vote on which Nicolas Cage movie we're going to watch next week. So check that out. And that's going to wrap this up this week. We got a good episode coming up next week. We got the Nicolas Cage episode. Just go vote on that. And uh, we're going to leave now. The director of The Master of Disguise is Perry Andlin Blake. So for Dan Aquino and Mark Myers, this is Anthony Delvecchio telling Perry Andlin Blake, well, you certainly made a movie, didn't you? Thanks for listening to They Called Us a Movie. Subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts and be sure to check us out on Twitter and Instagram at TicTamPod. That's T-C-T-A-M-Pod. You can also check us out on TikTok at They Called Us a Movie.